But I got a little bit cocky and I stopped learning and I stopped being humble. And that job came to an end. I got fired after the second or the third season, essentially being told we're not going to bring you back. And the reason why they didn't bring me back is because I was resting on my laurels. I'd stop adding value. I'd start coming, showing up with a place of expectation, like you owe me X, you owe me Y, as opposed to me showing up on a regular basis, you know, demonstrating what type of value that I can bring on a regular basis. When it comes to your career, there really is no one formula for success. And if someone had asked me 20 years ago what career I would be working in today, I doubt I would have said employer branding, a career that didn't even exist at the time. Some of the best stories I've ever heard didn't follow a plan. They simply embraced the journey. And that's why I've created this podcast, to share the many career stories that have shaped the people behind them and to encourage future generations to trust more in the process instead of stressing over getting it right the first time. I'm Steve, and welcome to the My Career Story Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to the My Career Story Podcast with me, your host, Steve Keith. Now, today's guest is Antonio Neves an internationally recognised speaker, host of the Best Thing podcast, and author of Stop Living on Autopilot. Antonio regularly delivers keynotes to top organisations worldwide. For over 10 years, he has worked as a business correspondent, host and producer with top television networks, and as a journalist, he spent hundreds of hours interviewing and profiling prominent CEOs, startup founders, politicians, entertainers, athletes and beyond. A first-generation college graduate, Antonio earned his master's degree from Columbia University. Hi, Antonio. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. I'm very excited about this conversation because I I enjoy listening to the podcast that I've just mentioned there in the bio. Um, So I'm going to go straight into this and say, Antonio, what is your career story? It's funny when you say, what's your career story? My answer is kind of which one, because I have multiple career stories. And one thing I like to always remind young people is that your first job won't be your last job. Sometimes when folks get out of high school here in the States or they get out of university, they, they they have so much trepidation about picking the right job. And I'm like, listen, your first job won't be your last job. So I've had a variety of careers. When I I finished undergrad uh, here in the United States, Uh, I was a salesperson. I was responsible for about 25 grocery stores in the greater Miami, Florida area. And quickly into that job, I realized I was good at it, but I didn't Uh enjoy it selling cheese day to day. (laughs) And and that's one of those big lessons I think we also learn is that just because you're good at something doesn't mean that you're supposed to be doing it. So many people are trapped in these right amazing careers good salary good benefits etc they're great at their job but they don't enjoy it and so what I did after a year in that job and to be clear it was a good job and growing up I'm a person the first person in my family to go to university a very blue collar background yeah father worked in factories mother worked in an office as an assistant so when I got this quote-unquote good job that everyone talks about I thought that I was supposed to be happy yet I was miserable. And so I did the craziest thing that I could do. I I quit that job. I had less than a thousand dollars in my bank account and I moved to New York City. I had never been there before. I knew just one person 
and I went there with dreams of, of working in the television industry. I've always wanted to be a storyteller. Um, and uh, three years after I arrived in New York City, I finally uh, made, had my, my break. Uh, my break. Uh, I think it was interesting. I think people forget when they're chasing their dream is that sometimes you're going to have to do things that aren't your dream to make that happen. Right. Prior to breaking in the television industry, I worked in retail. I sold clothes for H&M. I worked temporary jobs at offices. I worked at restaurants. I did catering. I did anything to earn an income uh, before that break happened. And I was fortunate enough then for over 12 years in New York City to break in the television industry and work as a correspondent, mm -hmm. a reporter, a person that's on television every single day uh, for over 10 years. And that was an extremely rewarding uh, career. Uh, you realize later that maybe you got into that profession for some of the wrong reasons, uh, insecurities yeah. and different things. For me, television in many ways, as much as I love telling stories and connecting with others, I wanted validation. I wanted to be appreciated. I want someone to say, I pick you. And in TV, you get a lot of that, but you also get a lot of, I don't pick you. We're going to go with someone else. So I think I like being beat up as well. Uh, and I'll, I'll wind down this long career story, but about eight years ago, after 12 years in the television industry, uh, I decided to pivot to do leadership and development work. I found those last few years as a business correspondent in the television industry, I got a lot more joy working and developing young people than I did actually doing the work in television. And again, I realized maybe I got into TV for all the wrong reasons. So for the past yeah. eight years, uh, I've been working with people one-on-one -on -one as a coach. I travel all across the globe as a leadership speaker, where I talk about workplace engagement, communication, et cetera. And I write as well. And I have a book coming out in the new year called Stop Living on Autopilot. Um, that's uh, really helping people reconnect to what's most important and become bold and courageous again. So that's a long answer, but it's been a multiple careers. Yeah, it sounds like, so tell me about selling cheese. Wow, so I worked for a big food company, uh, Kraft Foods. Um, huh. And the most interesting thing uh, about this job when you work as a sales representative was that straight out of university, I did not have an office to go to every single day. I was in the field. Mm -hmm. My office was the grocery stores that I was responsible for. My, my office was my car when I was driving. Um, but I learned a lot. Uh, I learned a lot because each store is very different. Each grocery store, each market. Uh, some markets demand this product, others demand that mar this product. And mm -hmm. so one thing I learned in that position was how to communicate with people. And you realize that not one size fits all. And I think a lot of times when we look at, whether it be a cover letter, if you're applying for a job or you look at a CV, you have to adjust that. You can't just submit the, in my opinion, you can't just submit the same CV, the same resume to everyone. And depending upon who you're talking about, you have to adjust your story sometimes as well to make it easy for them. Not for me to make it easy for them to say, yes, I wanna buy that extra cheese for the 4th of July holiday. Or yes, I'll give you that space at the store to put all those hot dogs that we um, ordered way too many of, et cetera. Um, so I learned a lot about relationship building. Uh, I learned a lot about numbers as well. Like for me, success, I like to be able to check something off and not just, oh, I feel good. For me, no, I like to be yeah. able to check something off. Uh, lastly, I think that job set me up to be an entrepreneur and have my own business because I didn't have an office to go to every single day. And once you go from a lifestyle like that, where you're not going to an office and you have autonomy and you have flexibility, 
the last thing you want to do is sit at a desk for 10 hours and have someone just looking at you that you're supposed to be in your seat. Uh, I think if there's been a good thing about this pandemic, there's been a lot of bright spots, actually, is that I think a lot of managers, I'm sure you can relate to this, a lot of managers and leaders are realizing I don't have to like just babysit these men and women that work for me. Like just be, I don't have to sit at a desk for you to think for me to get my work done. Uh, and we're seeing sometimes some people are actually more productive working from home or at different locations than they are being in the office every single day. Yeah, totally. I mean, and I did a quick poll on LinkedIn last week, uh, just asking a question. So we're six months into the pandemic. And if you were told that you could now permanently work from home, would you do it? And 90% of the respondents said yes. Wow. So there was a, there was an element of uh, that, that 90 was made up of 33% that said a solid yes. And then 57% that said with flexible office time. But I thought that was interesting because it was flexible working from home six months ago, not flexible office time. So that, that world of work piece is, is going to be really challenging as well. I know we were sharing just before I hit record as well that kind of I've had a day where I've had distractions going on in the background whilst I've trying to, been trying to work. And it's, for me, it just adds to that authenticity of who you are um, and that, that shared experience that we're all going through as well, which is really important with um, relationship building, I suspect. And I mean, I'm maybe making a leap here, but when you're talking about relationships and how important they were working in sales, um, that then I would suspect translated over into working as a TV correspondent, did it? Absolutely. Uh, I, naturally, I'm just a curious person. Uh, you know, if there's a through line in my career, it's storytelling. Again, if there's a through line in my career, it's being curious and really wanting to get to genuinely know people, hear about their story, hear about their background, because I think we can learn from anyone. I had to do that as a sales representative with each grocery store manager and each meat department manager and each grocery manager. I learned about them and their story. And I did my darndest to make sure I was doing that from a real genuine place, because as you know, people can tell when you're doing it just because you want something. And in the television industry, yeah. that was critical because a lot of times you're reporting a story that may not make the air for a month or maybe even multiple months. So you gotta think long-term about those relationships. Uh, something else that's interesting about relationship building is that I would walk in sometimes to do a story in television and that story is airing tonight. And I'm meeting, a, it could be a big name personality, a politician, a Grammy, Oscar, an award winner, or it could be that mother that just lost her son to, to gun violence. And within moments, I have to find a way to connect to that person, to get them to share something with me. So I have to make them feel, feel trust, I have to make them feel comfortable, et cetera. And that's the same thing in the workplace. I don't care if you're going into a job interview. I don't care if you're um, pitching an idea with people that know you extremely well. You have to find a way to make them feel comfortable to get buy-in. And in normal times, I, I have about 40 speaking engagements a year across the country and internationally. And in many ways, when I walk on the stage, whether I'm in front of 5,000 people on the stage or I'm in front of 40 people, it's the exact same thing. How can I put you at ease? How can I make you feel like it's about you? How can I instill trust in those types of things so you'll, you'll stop being so defensive with arms across your chest and take that deep breath and relax? And in my experience, I find that when I make it about them as opposed to me, that can happen. I think a lot of people mess up when it comes to communication is 
because they go in, they talk about me, 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 me. But for me, what I found in my experience, the more I'm asking you about you and your experiences, et cetera, uh, the more interesting you find me. As you know, people love to talk about themselves. Uh, and I'll, I will get someone to start talking about themselves genuinely because I want to learn. But then you also learn about certain things that uh, maybe that have connective tissue where you can go in a little bit deeper, uh, et cetera. And last thing I'll say on that is we have to be patient. We have to take a long-term approach to relationship building. And I call it relationship building as opposed to networking because in many ways I feel, see the word networking is in some ways transactional, though I know it's not always used that way, but I like to use the term relationship building because it is genuine and you're taking a long-term approach. And yes, one day you may ask that person for a favor or a request or for a uh, referral to a job or something, but if you go about it the right way, it won't be awkward and that person will gladly say yes. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I, in the last, even the last 24 hours I've looked, I had a list of people requesting connection on LinkedIn, for example, that I don't know. And I always kind of look and hesitate sometimes and go like, do I let them into my network or do I not? And on this occasion, I said yes to three people and then they've just literally gone into a, a message of selling me something. And I'm just like, mm, ugh. I'm going to probably break that connection now because I'm just like, you've not even bothered to read my bio or understand my work that I'm doing. I mean, kind of, for me, I look and I go, I'm called my business, the branding man. So you might assume that it's just one person, but I'm being sold something about how I can manage my team remotely. And I'm like, I would love to have a team one day. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but at the moment, it's just, it's just me. <laughs> so yeah, I'm blown away by how quick. Off. Sorry to interrupt, but I'm blown away by how quickly people are, are, are making asks. They don't even know yeah. you. They haven't asked to learn anything about you hmm. or about your needs, but they're asking you for something. And I've actually taken these days, sometimes if I have the time, I'll actually respond to some of those things, those messages. And I'll kindly say, I don't know you. I may not use those words. Uh, we haven't talked and it's a bit presumptuous uh, to make an ask. Uh, if you're willing to learn a little bit more, uh, cool. And don't get me wrong. I know people have quotas they have to meet and they have deadlines, mm -hmm. et cetera. So I have some grace for them. And uh, especially when younger folks ask me for time for uh, an informational meeting or a quick phone call, if they immediately say, hey, can you introduce me to so-and-so? Who can you connect me with? I'm just kind of like, yo, we just met. Let me tell you how to go about this. So when you talk to that next person, you don't make that mistake. Uh, I don't think enough people do that. But LinkedIn's a little bit different because it's a a message but in real life i think folks hopefully they're humble enough to listen yeah i would hope so as well i'm thinking of picking up that piece there that you just said about mistakes what are some of the mistakes that you've made that you've learned from in your career story so far i mean we could talk for the next two days about the <laughs> mistakes uh that i made uh i think first and foremost a lot of times i didn't have a, a, a North Star. Uh, I think I was just kind of, and then when you're young, you just want to work, you want to get experience and all those types of things. But I think when you know where you're heading, you can end up taking a long-term approach. I, I definitely have made far too many asks early on of people that I didn't even know well. Um, one thing that I, I don't talk a lot about, it's actually in my book, uh, Stop Living on Autopilot, is I had a big high profile job with uh, children's television network, Nickelodeon. Uh, where I was a co-host on a television show for uh, quite a few years, live TV every single day. Uh, I don't recommend your very first job in television being a live show nationally on Nickelodeon because your ego can explode and you can get big, you can get a little bit big headed. And to be clear, 
on a on a great day, I was like the third or fourth co-host. There were other people ahead of me that were more important. But I got a little bit cocky and I stopped learning and I stopped being humble. And that job came to an end. I got fired after the second or the third season, essentially being told we're not going to bring you back. And the reason why they didn't bring me back is because I was resting on my laurels. I'd stop adding value. I'd start coming, showing up with a place of expectation, like you owe me X, you owe me Y, as opposed to me showing up on a regular basis, you know, demonstrating what type of value that I can bring on a regular basis. Uh, so those are some mistakes that I made as it relates early in my television career. Um, I would say some other mistakes I've made. There are times I, I've said yes a little bit too soon. And what I mean by that, there were times early in my speaking career where I was asked to keynote at some really big events. And the truth is a couple of years in, in my speaking career, I was okay, but I wasn't great. And I can still recall one time my um, speaking agent at the time reaching out to me saying, hey, Antonio, someone canceled at this big event and they want to see if you're available. But here's the thing, this is a big event, it's in an arena. There's gonna be over 3000 people there. Are you ready to do this? And they're giving the opportunity to say no. And me just being optimistic and didn't want to miss an opportunity. And I said, yeah, absolutely, I can do this. And long story short, I bombed. I mean, it was the longest hour of my life. What was confusing about that moment is that after I finished, I got a standing ovation. And it was only later that I learned that at this event, they give everyone a standing ovation. <laughs> so I'm sure after I, I bombed at this event, they stopped doing that. Um, but I realized I hadn't done the, uh, the work. I hadn't put in the necessary hours. A lot of times people are pitching businesses, services, or products, but they don't have the track record. They don't have the hours, the 10,000 hours that sometimes Malcolm Gladwell talks about. And I'm not saying that always has to be the case. Sometimes you have to go dive before you're, you're ready. But there are some times that I needed to prep more. I needed to do more of the work. I like to frame it as you have to be willing to do the work when, when no one is watching um that you know it's all it's great when somebody in the audience is great when people are watching you but but you know as, as a business owner yourself most people very rarely see the work that you're doing early in the morning late at night uh when no one is watching last thing i'll say is i don't think i've done a great job sometimes of always communicating honestly uh, there are times I've, I've, I'm, I'm wondering like, why do i have resentment towards this colleague or this boss etc and many times it's because I didn't speak my truth or I said yes to something that I didn't want to say yes to, or I was holding a grudge. Uh, all these things that you learn about later when you develop your emotional intelligence and as when you mature, et cetera. Uh, but I wish early on in my career, I was willing to have the hard conversations more often. And just when I say hard conversations, I'm not talking about using expletives and telling someone how horrible they are. I'm just saying, speaking your truth being vulnerable uh, what was yeah. said in that meeting hurt my feelings or you know those things that i wish i would have done so those are a few of the mistakes but i'm not i'm not oblivious to being fired in my career i'm not oblivious to bombing on stage in front of three thousand people uh I messed up with some clients as well over the years so uh, those are a few nice i'm thinking back to that the as you, as you were talking about that i was thinking back to your post that i saw on Instagram the other day um after nickelodeon 
um, time and trying to think like I wonder if because my my brother and I were big Nickelodeon fans when we were growing up and we'd tune in every evening and stuff so I was trying to think have I seen him on there before um, but um, if you did if you did it was a guy with long dreadlocks back in the day and uh, that was a whole other we're a lot of fun learned a lot yeah and that, that piece around vulnerability that you're talking about, I'm doing a lot of work on that personally for myself, but for the business as well. Um, starting uh, with um, a coach here in the UK next uh, week, in fact, around Brené Brown's um, Daring Greatly work and everything. Um, and that piece around speaking your truth, um, it does come with age and it does come with maturity. And I think there's a lot of young people out there maybe at the moment I feel sometimes they're so used to sharing everything and being so open that they maybe misinterpret that as being authentic. Would I agree, you agree with, you. with that. Yeah. I agree with you hundred percent. I think we have to remind ourselves of, of a few things. Uh, one, especially in this age of, of social media, uh, when you see this person is so authentic, uh, they're so vulnerable. Let's be clear. When someone picks up their phone and they get ready to do something, it's contrived already. It's contrived. I, okay, if, I, if I see another TikTok of someone crying with the same song on, talking about XYZ happened, like you had to cue the song, you had to hit record, then you had to start crying. Like, come on, it, it's contrived. Uh, so let's, let's be clear. Don't confuse vulnerability and authenticity with what you see on the internet. Uh, it's easy to hit record and cry on the phone, but cry in front of a family member or a friend when you're apologizing to them when you're asking for forgiveness, when you made a mistake. Uh, cry or show anger, uh, you know, when nobody else can see you, right? Uh, behind closed doors when that conversation isn't going to come out. Uh, I think what's also important to know, again, I think you alluded to this, is not everyone deserves to hear your story. I think when we hear vulnerability and authenticity, we think we have to hit publish on a blog post or an email or so-and-so and let everyone know. And that's not the case. I don't believe everyone deserves to hear my story. I'll give you an example that is a bit in line with this is my wife and I have four-year-old twins. And one thing that we don't do is post our kids on the internet. Like we don't show their photos. You may see the back of their head here and there, but you'll never see their faces. And people periodically would message me and say, how come you don't show your kids on the internet and their faces? And I'm like, Duke, because they're my kids. I don't know you, you are a stranger. I'm old enough, I'm thinking you are not old enough. I'm old enough that when I was a kid, I remember going to family member's house or to friend's house. And if the trust was built, they might go to another room and pull out a photo album. Who remembers photo albums? And they would open it and it would be stained yellow and it'd have the sticky paper if you pull back. How special is that? Remember, when you got to see the photo album, that was a special, vulnerable moment for you to pull out these photos of, of my, my ancestry, et cetera. So in many ways, I view my kids the exact same way. Not everyone gets to see that. If I have a bad day, I'm going to tell my wife, I'll tell my dear, friend, dear friends, et cetera. But you don't get to know about that. I may tell you later about a learning I had from that that may help you. Uh, but I'm not going to confess to you. I'm not going to be, be vulnerable to you, stranger in random country of the world that I don't know. Um, mm. You know what's amazing, man, is how you know you got me going off on a diatribe. I apologize. Interrupt me at any time. Oh, I love it. Go for it. You've yeah. just been making me think that as now that I'm back at home living with my parents um, for the time being, I mean, what? 
well, me and my brother have this argument that it's his room. I'm just like, it's our room <laughs> in the house. Um, but my old bedroom is next door. And I know there's like boxes and boxes of those photo albums that you're talking about. And I approach them in the same way. When I've just moved back from back here from London, I've gone through boxes of photos that I carried around with me there for 14 years that people have gone why do you carry that shoebox around everywhere that's got all these old photos in it? And just like, because that's a, it's a prized possession and it is, it's a privilege when I open it and share photos out of it. Um, and that for me is being vulnerable. It's, it's taking out that memory, reliving it and putting it back in the box and knowing that just the two people that saw that photo maybe are the ones that are privy to it. You just hit the nail on the head. It's a prized possession. Some things are just yours. Some people have to earn seeing your prized possessions. Mm. What, what a powerful thing for anyone to hear right now, just to remember that. And also, uh, what's frustrating to me is when you see some of these things on the web, these messages that people are sharing, sometimes about deep trauma. I'm not talking about light stuff. The first thing that goes to my mind as, as a coach that works with people is, have you shared that with someone who's close to you? Have you shared that with a therapist? Have you shared that with a coach, et cetera? A lot of times we're putting, we're blasting our, our feelings onto the web and to the internet, but we're not blasting them with real people. In a day and age when we're more connected than, other, than ever, we're more disconnected than, other, uh, than ever. We're not telling our truths to those people who matter most. I, you know, so I see friends post things and I'm like, yeah, you should have kept that to yourself or you should have called a friend. That, that's real vulnerability. Vulnerability isn't pressing publish. Vulnerability yeah. is calling someone, is having mm. a conversation. That's for me, that's what yeah. vulnerability is. Yeah, I love that. Think about those precious moments and things that have stood out for you. What have been some of the highlights for you on your journey so far when it comes to your career or even your personal life as well? I know there's lots of things that um, you've shared that I've heard on podcasts of your own and with, with Kathy, how I discovered you in the first place, uh, kind of just like the way that you look after yourself that I would suspect would maybe have moments, but share some of the highlights with us. Yeah. Beautiful question. I uh, appreciate the questions because in this day and age, again, going back to doing podcasts and being interviewed, uh, not a lot of thought goes into questions sometimes. So I really appreciate your thought into them. The beautiful moments for me as I think about my career have been the moments when I've been willing, if you will, to bet on myself. Uh, I know a lot of people in this life, uh, and I know you know them as well because you were one of them that have existed in jobs and careers where on paper, everything looks great. You work yes. for a great company that everyone's like, whoa, you work for this big top three uh, consulting firm. You have the title, maybe the income looks good. Maybe you actually have a nice flat or a home. You're able to take those periodic trips and have those meals here and there. Mm -hmm. And even though everything on paper looks great inside, you're unfulfilled. You don't feel great. You're going through the most. You're exceeding on paper, but internally, you know, it doesn't feel right. So that first job we talked about earlier on paper, I was doing great in that sales job. However, internally, I knew that this was a good job, but it's not my job. And I decided to take that bet and move to New York City, a place I've never been before with less than $1,000 in my bank account. I didn't know if it was going to work or not. It eventually ended up working out through a lot of some challenges and all that, but it, it quote unquote worked out. But I was so happy I was willing to make that bet on me to move there. 12 years after being in the television industry, what a, you know, the fact that I, a small town kid from Michigan, first generation college student found his way to the television industry, major New York networks in New York City, blows my mind. 
But after 12 years of doing that, when I decided and I told friends, I'm going to leave this behind, I'm going to become a coach. I'm going to do leadership and development work. People looked at me like I was crazy, but I knew that even though everything on paper looked good, the income, the, the apartment that I had in Brooklyn and beyond, I, I knew that I wanted there. My story wasn't finished yet. And again, I was willing to bet on me. And the thing about being willing to bet on you is that not everyone is going to understand. In fact, some people are going to give you a hard time. Like, are you crazy for leaving that job? But again, just because it's a good job doesn't mean it's your job. And you learn also in this journey that sometimes the people that end up supporting you the most know you the least. When mm -hmm. I left my job in television to work, to create my own business and leadership and development work, the people I thought were going to help me land new clients, become coaching clients, refer me to X, Y, and Z, weren't the people. Sometimes it was that stranger I met on a podcast. It could be that stranger I met on a plane, that person that I met at an event. We barely know each other, but all of a sudden they are saying, well, you know what? You need to talk to this person or you need to talk to, to that person. So it's, it's a willingness to bet on yourself, especially when you know it doesn't feel right inside. Right now, there are so many people who are living quote unquote good lives, but they're not living their life. Internally saying this is good, but this isn't it. In some ways, they kind of feel like a, a can of soda that's being shaken up. And at some point, it's going to explode, but they don't know when it's going to explode. And what that can lead to, by the way, if you wonder, if am I in that place right now? It could lead to sedation. It, it, when I say sedation, yeah, that can lead to a few too many drinks in the evening. It could be distracting yourself with the wrong people or wrong things. It could be reaching that point when you watch Netflix where three times in a row, well, if you ever see the screen on Netflix that says, are you still watching? You, you, that the, the world is talking to you saying, hey, we, we, we may need to, that's the therapist talking to you. Uh, we, we may need so to talk true. about, <laughs> we, may, we may need to talk about some things because we're concerned that you may actually still be watching instead of living your life. And so people are going through the motions and that's why I ended up writing the book. Sorry to keep mentioning it. Stop living on autopilot because so many of us are. We forget that even though it's easy to go on cruise control in a vehicle that every now and then you got to get a manual and you have to shift gears. And so I think people forget that they are, they can shift gears in their life if they're willing. It's scary. It's vulnerable. Uh, but boy, does it uh, make you feel alive. Yeah, no, it does. And you know, making me think of something. So one of the things that um, I experienced when we went down into into lockdown in the UK, down in London, when I was living back down there, was that I the whole experience of of Corona and everything for me has been has thrown its own challenges personally at me. But I didn't really struggle. I felt with the adjustment of working at home because I already worked at home. My adjustment was suddenly finding myself in a shared um, flat with two other people working there all the time and I was having to adjust to the fact that we signed up to live together as friends and housemates and now we were work colleagues as well and we were going to be doing that 24 hours a day and only allowed to leave the house to go and exercise and and I go to get some to food and stuff um and so everybody's had their own personal journey and then I've seen people that have kind of that, have, that look like you were just saying that look successful on paper um and then they've been thrown into this situation and they've been forced to spend time with themselves and really started to question what it is that they do, how they use 
their time, the fact that they've got kids there that they rarely see and now they're seeing them all the time and building these beautiful relationships back with them or, or building on relationships that are already there. And it is really kind of, it's, it's a really great time for us to pause and think about things, but for a lot of people, it's quite scary. So for somebody who has gone through that process as well and started their own business and is coaching other people, what advice would you give people that are maybe worrying about the future ahead? Yeah, first and foremost, uh, listen uh, and don't distract yourself. We're so good at distracting ourselves and not allowing ourselves to really feel and process what is happening especially now. Uh, you know, one of the big things folks have learned during this time with the lockdowns in different countries uh, across the world is that they realize how much of their day is just filled with being busy. The commute, the work, the drinks after work, et cetera. And I think we realize quickly how much we, we focus a lot, I'll call it gravel. But now we're trying to, we're realizing what the big rocks are in our life where we're not so busy with all the gravel, the, the, the unimportant mm -hmm. things that we thought were important, we're just busy. But now we're slowly but surely seeing what the big rocks are, those things that are important in our life. And so I'd invite that person right now to really get curious about what have been those things historically and even now that you use to distract yourself. And many times we distract ourselves from actually feeling what we most need to feel. Then I'd invite that person to think about, you know, what, what is most important? If nothing else, what is most important? Not just about today, but this week, but this month. Uh, there's a helicopter going by, so you may hear that in the background. Uh, you know, being here in this year, a question I love to ask people is this one right here. Is that let's imagine it's December 31st, 2020. December 31st, 2020. What three things must have happened for you to say that this year was a success? Yes, in the midst of a pandemic and so much going on, what three things must have happened by December 31st, 2020 for you to say that even in the midst of a pandemic, crazy things going on this year was a success? Some people will say, you know what? My wife, my husband and I, we, we, we got to know each other. Again, that made this year a success because a lot of people, you know, they leave house, they leave the home for the day for work. You know, think about this. If you're in a relationship, even roommates you just mentioned earlier, sometimes you only got to spend three hours a day with your person, right? You spend more time with the rest of the world. Now, all of a sudden, you're stuck with them all day. And you're like, what? Who is this person, right? It's real all of a sudden. Like, this person is, this is my husband. This is my wife. These are my kids. So maybe for you on December 31st, you're going to say, you know what? I got to build a relationship again. Uh, with this person that's important to me. Maybe you got to build a relationship with yourself again in the midst of the quiet. You realize you have been living on autopilot and um, these are the things that I actually want to pursue in the, the new year. Um, maybe for you, it's finishing something. Like I can't tell you how amazing it is for people to actually identify some key things that they can actually finish. I don't care if it's that home improvement project, it's that hobby they actually happen to have. I don't know, just finish something for you, not for your employer, but for you. It could be finishing a course. I mean, you name it. Um, so I think there's a variety of things that you can do to get back on track, but you have to ask yourself, and this time allows that, is what are you running away from? I, I was going to tell a really brief story. In my book, I tell the story about these two business owners. I know you're going to love this, by the way. These two business owners, they started a business in New York City in the 1990s. They're being interviewed a few, a few years back. 
And as they're being interviewed at one point, one of the co-owners of the business said, oh man, I miss the old New York. And what he was talking about was what the New York was like in the 90s when it was a little bit grimy, a little bit more rough, a way less commercial than it is today. But his uh, business partner corrected him and he said, you don't miss the old New York. What you miss is the old you, who you were during that time. So right now, I want that person that's listening to think about who's that old you that you miss? Who was that person that was a little bit more bold? Who was that person that was a little bit more courageous? Who was that person when they started their job, they went above and beyond? Who was that person that regularly went to event and built relationships? Who was that person, by the way, we talked about marriage earlier. Remember when you went on that first date and you wanted to impress them? Remember when you decided you wanted to get married? Uh, how much of that person still exists? right? Very little probably. Remember when you got that job and how, how nervous you were about getting the job? Remember the day you found out you got the job, how fired up you were? How much of that person still exists, right? So we, 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 that, that's how you know if you're alive. Go back to when you got what you said you wanted and how much of that person still exists. A lot of people will say, uh, not very much, Antonio. <laughs> yeah. I'm smiling and nodding along because that's exactly what I'm going through at the moment is kind of like reconnecting with that that younger version of myself and being back at home where I grew up is an important piece of that puzzle for me that I'm slowly starting to appreciate is maybe the reason that I left London and is one of the good things that has come out of the last six months for me it's given me the opportunity to go, now's the time to spend some time on you and figure out kind of, not necessarily, so there's, there's days when I feel a little bit lost, but like where, where the next step is actually going rather than constantly being the hamster in the wheel trying to figure it out. It, it gives you some space to, to yeah. do that. You know, the, the, the big city, I mean, nothing's wrong with big cities, obviously, as you know, I live in Los Angeles, I lived in New York City, mm -hmm. but what, I, what I'm hearing you say, which is really beautiful, is that this is providing an opportunity for a reset, uh, for a reboot in many ways. It's kind of like uh, your phone or your computer. You're like, you're looking at your computer, why is it so slow? And I'm like, when's the last time you restarted it? When is the last time you turned it off? Have you checked the cash, right? Uh, we have to reboot every now and then, if we're willing, if we're we're humble to do so. And when we do that, things can get cleaned out if you will and you can realize what's most important in those things that aren't important anymore i've got more more and more clients during this time than i actually had prior to all of this because people are doing their reset and their reset and their reboot to identify what's um important and, and it's really fun to see people being willing uh to do that because it takes a lot of it takes a lot of humility yeah it does I ask you one more thing before I wrap up, and that is um, uh, relating back to you and your the ways that you reset and look after yourself. I've heard, I think it was, I think it might have been the the pod with Kathy. It could have been one of your own. I've heard you talking about going hiking um, early in the morning in in LA. Um, there, um, how do you make time for yourself, Antonio? If you're so busy with those new clients, for example. Yeah, uh, there's a variety of directions I can go with that. Uh, but one thing I've committed to is me and making time for me. And what that looks like, which isn't necessarily always fun, is that, you know, I have a wife, we have four-year-old toddler twins. And now with everyone at home, things can be a little bit challenging. So there's some key things that I have to do to know that I'm going to be at my best. And I'll just name some of those for you. 
one of those that I have to move, I have to sweat almost every single day. If I don't do that, I'm not going to be at my best. Another thing that I have to do is meditate on a, on a daily basis, sometimes just for 20 minutes. Uh, you mentioned the hike earlier, at least on minimum on a weekly basis, uh, I'm hiking with a, with friends, uh, given that opportunity to, to connect uh, and to make these things happen because schedules are tough. That means many mornings I'm up at 4.30 in the morning. So that can guarantee, and that's, not, and that's not to brag by no means. That's because I get up and I choose to make that, you know, I was about to say the word sacrifice, but I'm actually going to replace that word sacrifice with investment because that 90 minutes before my wife gets up, before my kids get up, I can work out, I can meditate, I can read 10 to, 10 to 15 pages of a book. And I already have a victory before the day has begun. Uh, so something I'll just, just, you know, someone, I hate to say a word, I'm not gonna say the word advice, I'll say a suggestion I can make for folks that are listening is, what is a victory you can get out of the way for you technically like before the day begins? Like what, what is that win you can get? When I know I worked out already in the, before the day has started, when I know I've meditated or read those pages, I've already got a victory. I feel good about the day already. And I'm like, if nothing else happens today, I did these two or three things. Now for you, that doesn't need to be meditation and that doesn't need to be workout. Maybe that could be doing the crossword puzzle. Maybe that could be calling and engaging with a friend. Maybe you just love cooking and you use that time to yourself to prep a meal for later. I don't know. Uh, but I would invite everyone that's listening to find a way to put yourself first. We put so many people, so many others first, but very rarely do we put ourselves first. And what that means is being willing to do one of the most uncomfortable things that we can, but one of the most uncomfortable things that allows for growth is that is willing to be alone with ourselves in the quiet, with the phone powered down, with no notifications, no distractions. Who are you then? right? Who are you in that moment? You may have a bit of an existential crisis and may have a bit of a panic attack, uh, but that reminds you that you are alive, that you are feeling, that you are breathing, and more than anything, that you have a say in this life. Fall too, fall too, far too often, we, 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 we tend to fall prey to this victim mentality, but I want to remind everyone listening that you have a say in your life and you don't have to quit your job to be happy you don't need to move for a brand new city to be happy you don't necessarily have to you know end a relationship right it all starts with us um because it's easy to point the finger at others but very rarely do we point the finger at ourselves and what a great way to end the episode so that uh, was really great advice there. Thank you, Antonio. And thank you for your, your time for the podcast this week. I really um, appreciate it and appreciate we've got the time difference that we've been uh, battling with to get a fit around everything there as well. So um, I'm really grateful for your time. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for your tone, your energy, how you ask these questions. Uh, this is fun for me. Like the way you go about this is, is enjoyable and, and it's fun. So just an acknowledgement uh, for you for how you show up. Thank you. Great. Well, well, that will give me a skip down for dinner when my parents are downstairs now. And I'll be skipping my beard. I'll be asking, why are you so happy? <laughs> We've seen you being grumpy in the corner all day. <laughs> thank Excellent. you so, so much. Um, you're welcome. Um, thank you for listening as well. Please do leave um, any reviews and don't forget to subscribe. And we'll be back next week with another episode of the podcast. Bye for now.